So on this episode, I'm joined by a fellow Kofskin. He's played over 300 games in the championship. We go back a long way, 20 odd years. Good friend of mine, the great, the powerful Ben Gulliver. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Is wearing his heels, marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now, and he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super dead. He gets loud. I'm a big dick house. I showed him lots of whiskey, and he shoots like a mouse. Keep it raw. Keep it raw. That's what we're saying. Is it as weird for you than it is for me? We just you just said it. What did you just say? It's weird. So I'm going to close my eyes and speak to me, James. Yes. So you're going to say that you recognise this Northern Hebridean accent from Scotland because you hear it in your ears all the time. I can, I can just hear it in my ears. I was listening on the train on the way up, and I'm seeing you. <laughs> I've only listened to you on the podcast over the past however many years. It's weird seeing you in the flesh, mate. I know. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. That's the weird thing, isn't it, about yeah. podcasts? Because now, and you do your podcast, and I yeah. listen to you, and it's weird me seeing you and listening to you. But <laughs> it is the weird thing around podcasts, isn't it? You yeah. hear someone in your ear, not only do people think they know me or they know you off your podcast, yeah. is that <laughs> when you see them again, it's like, oh, it's the voice. Yeah, and it's weird. Because like, we, we do our podcast, and the guy I do it with, I've never met him. I don't know if he's a good bloke or not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've only met him on Zoom and we've done about 15 or 16. Never actually met the bloke, never had a beer with him. I've never squared him in the eye over a beer and I know if he's a good bloke or not. You don't know if you can trust him then, eh? No, I don't. If you've not met him. No. No, it's great to be in a studio because we were chatting just before over an extra hot flat white oat milk, <laughs> but not too hot. As if you ordered that. It's a disgrace. You're from Coventry. I know. I actually I know. showed the woman and said, is this real? You said, yeah, I'll make it for you now. That's you what knew happens. Who you were. I know. I, I know, exactly. I've been in a few times. But nosebleed, being in London or not? not I mean, you're you're further south now, aren't you? You're Plymouth. I'm down, yeah, in the southwest, which is, yeah, nosebleed. It's been a while since I've been up up to London. I used to come down a bit when I lived in Bedford. But, yeah, I got here in one shot, which I'm quite happy with. But because the southwest is so, you feel so isolated down there, it's his own little world. Being up here, I felt like I was coming on holiday. And obviously, we've been through a bit of a mill. I was, I was pretty excited just to get on the train and sit in first class, which you didn't book. I did offer to book it, <laughs> but we're here yeah. and it's class. And we were talking before. So for the listeners who don't know, me and Gully go back. I worked an out 
it's 20 years or more. It's actually more. It's 22 years. I would. I was 16. Well, I don't like saying how old I am. Yeah, so that's 22 years. Is that 22 years? So actually, yeah. you're one of the longest persons, <laughs> people's, People. lads, that I chat to in terms of going back historically. Like, you'd yeah. be my oldest... You've been my oldest mate. That's what oh, I'm trying to say. Are we friends? We are. Of course yeah. we are. We no. go back that long. So when I was looking back yeah. on my career and before obviously coming to the podcast with you, I was thinking I've known you longer than I've known myself, <laughs> but you've also seen me yeah. go from 16 right. to where I'm now. Like, and, 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 you know, and vice yeah. versa as well. Yeah. I think my earliest memory of you, there's, there's that picture that knocks around, isn't there, when we're playing for Barkers and... Mate, I was, I was trying to think of an animal you looked like. You were big, weren't you? You were like, what, 18 stone, six, seven, or whatever you were at 16? Yeah. I remember me and my old man picking you up from Job's Lane or Job's Lane for the cough folk. <laughs> Job's Lane for the posh cough folk. But yeah, uh, which is neither of us. Mm. And my dad had a Nissan Micra. I don't know if you remember this. I remember Big Tone. We yeah. can get onto him. We picked you up to take you to training a couple of times. And it was that period of where I, would, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be at Barker's at the time. I, was, I wanted to be a motocross rider. What's that about? But I used to do that on Sundays. And then uh, we took you up to, to training and we, we, we played a bit of Colts together, didn't we? And it's, it's all a bit of a blur, but it's, it's a, they're good memories. We liked you and we liked to put our arm around you a little bit, didn't we? Because Absolutely. Was a, I, I, we weren't sure where you're... If you were going to play rugby even, were you? It's like, you're going to be a rugby player. You're tall. You're massive. Leicester want you. You want to do this. You want to do that. And I could see you getting pulled from all angles. And it was just like, Mate, just come and play rugby and enjoy it, mm. and we're going to have a good crack. And I think I think we did. But like you said, that's that's twenty two years ago. I don't know. So it's great with watching your career over the years, but also having those moments through that period where you just hook up for a beer or you chat, and it's like like the old days in Cov. Yeah, like nothing's happened. You know, when I look back, and we spoke about it before, I don't look back that much. I, d- I try not to reflect. I don't know why. I almost feel a little bit embarrassed. For a number of reasons, like one would be probably how my career went and a lot of people... Why would you be embarrassed by your career? Because it was never meant to go that way. I'm not playing myself down here. I'm not like doing self-deprecation. Apart from being a big unit, which is why I got to where I got to. Yeah. Well, it opened a door, Jim. It opened the door, but how bad bad was I? (laughs) Honestly, I mean, I, I just remember I was shy at rugby and I could fight a little bit. And I was big. I, I remember you, like, you were one of the best players in the team. That's what, I, as in, in my memory, that's yeah. what I have. I can't remember you playing, mate. Maybe that's I didn't play. Like, that was right. No, we, we played in the Colts yeah. a little bit together. I played in the fourth team at Barker Burts, right? Oh, the fourth team men's team, because I was 16, going through a shit time at home, at school, there was a connection between my school, Cameron Court, and Barker Burts. Yeah. I got brought up to the club. David Medcraft, Meddy, who was one of the best players in Warwickshire at the time. He was quality, mate. Uh, I always remember when we were at school on his team sheet or on the the team sheet, it had David Medcraft, utility player. He played in the centre. He played in the back row. The women loved him. He had all the sports ties. He played cricket. He swam. There weren't even a swimming pool at school, but apparently he was a swimmer (laughs) as well and played hockey. He was everything I wanted to be that wasn't. We had some quality players. And I remember... I got in with the, with a bad crowd at school or whatever. Like I grew up in a, in a shit area and then got invited to come up to Barker Butts and that was the turning point, right. like spending time with with you guys and you lads taking me out and yeah. opening my eyes up to what it was like to go out and get smashed but have a good time as opposed to fighting. Yeah, it's weird because like, you're probably going through a bit of a shit time in it. I was as well. 
but you probably wouldn't have, weren't aware of it because I I blew my ACL at sixteen motocrossing. I didn't play rugby for two years from seventeen to nineteen. So in that period, so I would have probably played a couple of games together. And you get sat in these meetings, not meetings, surgeons going, "Hey, you ain't playing rugby ever again. You're never going to do it." And people say that, like a lot of the time, don't they? It's a bit of like, "Oh yeah, where is me?" But they were genuine conversations at seventeen. So. Like you come through it and then it goes again, getting on the school bus, do another ACL. So I spent a lot of that period of time watching you play. And I think I remember, I remember getting jealous of you. Uh, I was on crutches at Cowden Road and you'd been playing for, you weren't playing, but England played there. England had, it had been under 21s or 18s. I can't remember what it was. And I looked at you and I'd been through like 18 months of like on crutches and whatever. And a pretty talented rugby player could go somewhere, whatever. I looked at you and you had your England blazer on. And I couldn't look you in the eye. I felt like shit because of my injury. But mm-hmm. it's like, is that like, like jealousy? It's like, what's that about? And it's probably a bit of age. And then sort of your, my knee came good and then things ended up down at Sarri's and whatever. And it was, things went okay from there. But that shaped, I think, a lot of, like that reflection piece. I, I've never looked at it like I am now. It's weird, like you're mm-hmm. saying that. I've looked, reflected on other areas of my life because I've needed to. That period... I think it shaped my attitude towards my career because it had almost gone. It was like, fuck it, I've got another chance here. And my other chance was go and fucking enjoy it. That period of my life was was tough, but in terms of watching you play, it was great because you grew, as in you were, you were you grew into your body, I mean, as a human and as a rugby player. And I remember watching you think, fuck, yeah, there's something in him because you're aggressive and you were, you had that bit of... Bit of cunt. Bit of cunt in you. The bit you can't coach. Yeah. And that's in you, right? So if you're looking at players and... And that was in you. So if someone back to bang you on your nose, you bang them back. And I think we played against you when you were in Nottingham on, on loan. And I was like, fucking hell, the guy can play rugby. Humbly, <laughs> I was bloody good that season. I don't know why. That was me, arguably, at my very best when I was at Nottingham. I think you're like, you ragged you me across the floor. I was like, hey. <laughs> I think I gave some of my worst shit chat. He was like, hey, we've got a scoreboard or something shit, and then you beat us. But fair play, because you've obviously gone, learn your craft a bit. And it was also that time of my career when I was, I reckon I was 21, 22. It came down to opportunity, right? Yeah. So, and a lot of people will say, a lot of parents will say, right, I want my kid, I want my lad. Obviously, the women are playing more so now mm. as well, but I want my lad to play rugby. How does he become a professional rugby player? They'll say that to me, yeah. having been a professional yeah. rugby player. And I'll be like, the likelihood is they're not, for a number of reasons. Which is tough for them to take. Because it's everything. How much do I need to pay you to make a professional rugby player? Yeah. <laughs> you can't. But you, you nailed it on the head there. Your pathway from where I was looking yeah. and the lads that we've just mentioned was to go and be a professional rugby player. You had the talent to do it, but mm. you wreck your knee. You're out for a year. You're out for two years. Yeah. And you're on the profile age spectrum of 16 to 18, yeah. which is the most important, even yeah. more so now. Yeah, definitely now. I didn't have that. So I came into rugby late. Yeah. Didn't really play at the start. Got picked up in a Warwickshire versus Leicestershire match, having a big fight in in the game. Ironically, with a guy who went on to be my best man at a wedding, Brett Deacon. With Brett, not because Louis is a bit older, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And got picked up. Got picked up off that game, and for having a scrap. Having a scrap. Dino was there. Dean Richards was uh, there watching. And people don't know that about my career. That people so think that. it's a pathway. You know, you get into the age group stuff and you get picked up. Mine wasn't. Mine was completely the back door. I worked behind the bar at Barker Butts. Yeah, I can remember. And got picked up that way. Three pints. Where I managed to make a career out of it, I was desperate. I had nothing else. And I didn't realise until later on in my career and you listen to things and, again, you reflect 
you understand where you are in life in terms of getting a decent contract for the first time yeah. and what motivates you. My sole motivation as a young lad was to not be poor. Full right. stop. Leicester gave me my first big contract, 50 grand, and my performances, this was after I played for Nottingham, went downhill. And the reason was, is because I felt like I'd made it, made it yeah. for the first time ever. I remember sat with Dusty Hare and with Dean Richards, and they were like, look, we're paying you a fortune now. <laughs> I mean, it was a fortune. Yeah, 50 for me. grand, yeah. 50 grand's a lot of money. And my motivation levels weren't there. I'd gotten to the point of being able to go out on the piss, bought myself a car, financed the car. It was a Ford Focus. <laughs> the number plate was Y23TRY. <laughs> try. Uh, it was, I didn't buy I was that. Yeah, yeah, TRY. Yeah, try. TRY, try. try. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is what drove me to be the player that I was to that point. But then I think after as well, I think there was, a, there was a couple of stages. One was a desperation to do something. I didn't want yeah. to be poor. I didn't live on the streets, but I weren't fucking close. You know, I yeah. was close to living on the streets and the background and, and the life that I had. Yeah. I was never going to be a rugby player. And then all of a sudden, I'm a fucking rugby Truck player. 50 bags. Exactly. 50 bags, fucking car. Yeah, he's made it. And I'll tell you what, there's a difference in your first professional contract. So my first professional contract was with Coventry. Well, I used to, I went to, I was in Sarries like in the 21s. They used to give me expenses when I was at uni, about 180 quid or something a month. And I signed at Cov. Me and the old man went in with his. Graham Robbins, who's called Godbar, I don't know who Godbar. He was sorting the contracts out and he's like, right, uh, we can do this for you, we can do that. We're going in, yeah, well, I don't really know what I'm going to get here. And uh, he went, how about 400 quid a month? Put you in a bit of digs and give you a car. <laughs> Fuck yeah, where do I sign? <laughs> Bang, sign. And then didn't play for like the first part of the season, then got in and then, and I couldn't have been happier. I've gone, right, I want to play for Coventry. That's all I want to do. And then my first contracts with Coventry, I go the hard way through getting beaten up by my old man's mates just to make sure I'm okay. My first season of rugby, £400 a month, a Peugeot 406, Zinzan Brooks playing in the team on a grander game. And I'm loving life. I think this is fucking brilliant. I didn't think I'd made it. I just had an opportunity to, like, I had a bit of some beer tokens, play with some people that I really, really like, wanted to play with, and have a fucking good Saturday night. Yeah. It was brilliant, and it was... After every Thursday training session, I'd be doing drop goals with Zinni from the halfway line and still mates with him now. And he was my hero as a rugby player, apart from the old man growing up. And he's there playing for Coventry at Cowden Road. It's mental. I remember Derek Eaves as well. Eaves, yeah. Loose, Cannon. Yeah. Cough were good, weren't they? Yeah. I'm trying to think when that would have been. 96, when, I think. Yeah, in the 80s they were good, weren't they? 90s. They, they were up and down a bit. And it was Mosley. Richmond were pretty good back then yeah. as well. They used to have the Boxing Day fixture, Cov Mosley, which was like huge, like thousands of people in there. You know, and that hey, the rugby they used to kick lumps out of each other. But yeah, when Derek was there, Derek Eaves, they brought a big contingent up from Bristol and they nearly made the Prem. They they lost to London Irish in the playoff final. And then it went tits up for a little while. Uh, when the money sort of just dried out because they didn't make that Prem gap. But yeah, there were some good players. But none of us got picked up by Cov. Like I'm trying to think if if I'd any, have been yeah, one of the only ones that, but that's literally through your old man trial at Bedford, and they said no, and I went to Cov, and obviously they said yes on 400 quid a month. <laughs> My car, and it, oh, it's a Persia. They were sponsored by Persia, weren't yeah. they? But there was no, there's no pathway there, is there? Well, I suppose we got Leicester and Worcester that would pick up the, the players now, but then you'd play Barker's first team, get picked up. Or you'd go Warwickshire, wouldn't you? Then go Broad mid- Street was quite big then, wasn't it? Yeah. Or it got bigger after. Yeah. Then you get like Midlands, wouldn't you? Mm. And then that's where you'd, you'd go off and do what you needed to do in yeah. your career. But I look at where rugby is now, and it's easy sitting here 
with 78,000 followers on Twitter having played at the level that I that was looking at. I know, I bought <laughs> half of them. And there is luck along the way. We know we know right. there is. There absolutely is. Right place, right time. And I'm not saying that to, to downplay what I've done, but I'm just saying I now sit here, I don't know how, with a little bit of a voice in rugby Yeah. where I look at the landscape of it and I can say what I want and people interact. David Flatman can say what he wants. Lawrence yeah. Delalio, Austin Hilly. Not that I'm putting myself in the echelons with them. People with a following who've, perceived to have done stuff in the game I look at the lads that have played in the fucking championship yeah. like yourself yeah. as in that is proper rugby Yeah, that is proper rugby and there's no better people or players that are well placed in the game to talk about the game yeah. than the lads who have been at the well yeah, yeah. season upon season and that is why I want to talk to you because <laughs> I mean, you had a great career and yeah. you're a legend in the champ. Three, how many games? 300, is it? Something like that. Let's round it up to four. I don't actually know. Let's go 350. It's not, but let's go around there. 350. <laughs> well, I mean, anything above 200, but it's 300 it's and something. Yeah, it's around, yeah, in the champs, around 300. That is... 21 operations. You've given your body to the game. And when we met maybe three years ago when things were normal, I think yeah. your missus was playing for Saris. That's right. Against Quinns. And you were... I don't know whether I saw you or you told me about oh, detaching no. your biceps. I was like, where yeah. are your biceps gone? You were like, well, I've two golf balls. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this needs to be out there in the open, both from <laughs> a, a joking standpoint, I felt better about myself and how small my arms were. But also in terms of, I'm going to say it, fucking sacrifice that these lads like yourself in the championship make. And I understand there's a big play for player welfare and concussion, aftercare, yeah. and transition and all these things, we're in a much better position to go through that. We've got doctors, yeah. we've got surgeons on call, we've got PDP managers, we've got psychologists. Oh, exactly, player development. Yeah, I know. I oh, you being, know, you got me, you got me. I'm just being facetious. We are, I'm not going to say moaning about it, I'm going to say bringing it to the spotlight, bring yeah. it to the fore. A lot of us have been paid well, mm-hmm. six figures, for years and years and years and years. So. There's an element of we're set up. Yeah. I look at the championship and I say that having played in the championship, but I've got so many mates, yeah, good mates that have played in the championship and we're talking about fucking game after game after game after game, going to the arse end of the world, albeit lovely, Cornish Pirates. How far north can you go? You've got uh, Doncaster. Donny. Yeah, Donny's your furthest. Well, Donny, I mean, Donny leads. You, don't, you say no more. You go Otley. To, Otley were in it for a bit. I nearly got drowned in Otley. So, <laughs> what, in I the bath know. after or in the pitch? No, on the pitch. This guy who was in the Marines nearly drowned me that year. And I was like, well, it's either now or never to make it professional because I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, do this. When you look back on it, was it tough? It's fucking brilliant. Yeah? Yeah. So, I know I know. you know it's brilliant. I was embarrassed of playing in it. Like, So say if you go into a conversation, not embarrassed about talking. So I still say it now. So at work, when I'm working... I'm chatting to people and they say, oh, I used to play rugby and it's a good story. And I, I always still open with, it's only level two. It was championship rugby. And then I had two years in the Prem. Actually, it was a year and three months in the Premiership. And I talk about talk about it like that. And, and I don't know why. And I, I think it's maybe because not pe- many people are aware that you can play professional rugby uh, level two as well in this country. In terms of like going to the well and, you know, I think the the best decision I made from early, I think mainly because of my knee, I took out, I always have medical insurance. So I'd always 
always have that, whether the club supported me or not. It's something I always had. So if something went wrong, I could go and have an op. And I, I knew that because mum worked in a, in a private hospital. So I did that quite early. So any sort of issues I had, I could, I could go and have an op or, or whatever. I could go and see the right person. And I took responsibility for that because I, I played in an era where the money was, was all right. So like, I think my highest paid contract in the champ would have been about 35 grand. I, I flirted between 25 and 35. And that was all right for me. And I, I always referred back to, how did you feel when you signed the contract? And I'd never get annoyed at people earning more money than me because they deserve more money or someone thinks they do. And boys like yourself and boys in the Prem, fucking hell, how come he's earning that? He's just a tracksuit and blah, blah, blah. But he's, I, I'd have signed that contract. Who fucking wouldn't? Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, he should be playing in the champ and, you know, he's just a tracksuit in a premiership squad. He's earning 80 grand a year. That's a fucking good tracksuit, isn't it? <laughs> Bloody good tracksuit. <laughs> uh, but it's it's a good league. It's attritional. It's good fun. You could go and have a bit of, you know, you have some scraps in there. I think because I moved around the clubs a lot, you got you met some like the network's very good, and you, you know, you just you just get to learn different characters, and it's good fun. I used to fucking hate going to some places, but then I I listened to some. This is where a lot of frustration comes with sort of some of the prem boys and what they say about the championship. Uh, or you go down to Penzance and it's a shithole. And, but so was your junior rugby club growing up. Well, that's yeah. the new age of yeah. players. Like, you're cut from from yeah. Cov. Yeah. <laughs> the old school cloth. I mean, even I said the arse end of the yeah. country. Well, it is, like well, Cornwall. Is a, but well, as in, it is a shithole. But that's rugby. Yeah. Is it not? Or was? Was, yeah. And that's and that's the, that's the line I sit on. I, I, I understand, like, if I've gone to Millfield and I've been in a professional training environment from 13 to my professional rugby contract then I don't know any difference so when I go on loan to Amptel and I go down to Pirates I am going fucking hell what is this place it's a shithole but if you've got someone else that's come from the like my side of it, or it's a bit more senior so someone like Paves who's down at Pirates well this place is brilliant it's character it's mm. what, what great you know and like if you, you come and spend a bit of time with us and you get that life experience and you understand that you have to wait to go into a gym session because you've only got one small area and it's just that little bit of growth outside of that full professional athlete environment which is what the championship gives you but some of these boys are just just alien to it I think it'd do them good just to see it well it's interesting because when I was at Leicester and I got sent to Nottingham not because I wasn't tough, tough enough because Jono and Ben Kay were there I probably wasn't <laughs> tough enough as well and Lewis Deacon what they used to say was a bit soft him you can't even say that now bit soft him, put him in the championship for a season. <laughs> that is what they did. And yeah. even even at Saracen, so even at the end of my career, yeah. they'd be like, right, young so, lad, especially in the forwards, the backs was a bit different. Yeah, because they said, tend to be ready to go, don't they, backs? Well, they're days. quick, isn't they? That's, I mean, once you're quick yeah. and you can pass, I mean, good looking. Exactly. You ain't getting the ball as well in the champ, are you? Let's be yeah. honest. A little bit more now, but not then. Centres, that's it. So if you've got a big 12, get him in well, the Well, of champ. course, yeah. <laughs> you, you see all the lads that are from Samoa Tonga. Sam Tui Tuslo, is he still playing? Like, he was at Cod for a bit, oh, weren't he? Mate. I played against him when I was at Amp. Fuck, I was just staying away. Well My there. goodness me. He'd come from nowhere. What a bloke. Well, I'm sure he was. But, uh, off the pitch. Fun. Oh, mate. He played in that one for a year. He was killing people. He could win covering that one. Yeah. That was right. Fuck knows how they got his contract. Fuck <sighs> knows what they're paying for. They maybe got him a Persia. <laughs> for a six. He's on 400 quid a month. Maybe, maybe a day. Oh, they, but, they just want to play code, don't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, um, mate, what a bloke to have in your team at that level. That's it. Trying to get the profile of the team. Like, how do you become a good championship team? Do you need a shitload of money? 
Because we're seeing now with Ealing, Ealing, Ealing. Who else has got a bit of money in the champ? Cornish Pirates. There was talk of them building a stadium and still going. That, well, I signed in two thousand and six, and that was part of the, was the reason for signing. <laughs> Sold you the dream. <laughs> yeah. You're going to play Prem Rugby. Mate, the old five year plan. Fucking fifteen years later, but I think that's actually moving. What do you need to cash? Definitely, but cash in terms of what players or squad depth? Well, I you talk about Ealing, and I we spoke to Ben Ward on, on our pod, and I look at from the outside being a champ player, and you think, oh, they just what they do is they all the best players in the champ, they lift them and take them to Ealing. What the fuck are they doing? You know, it's, what sort of clubs are going to be high turnover players? It's actually settled down, and what they've built off the field is a fully operational, ready to go into a Premiership facility. Now, they don't have any support base, so there's their issue. Can they go into the Premiership and do okay? I don't know. It's going to be tough for them to finish one one above whoever's bottom. That would be a result for them. I think geographically you need to look at what what opportunity there is. But there are, there is, I think there's six. In the, in the champ, you've got Ealing a full-time, Jersey a full-time, Pirates, Doncaster, Hartbury are pretty much full-time. They do like a seven till nine shift in the morning and then they all go off to work and then come back. That's full-time rugby. Is, I was going to say, is that full-time or what? <laughs> I don't know. I've got, um, I've got my blinks. And when you say full-time... Coventry as well. How much are they getting? Let's just lay some figures out there. I don't know what the average salary uh, in the Prem is now, but I mean, it was around 60 to 80 grand. Yeah. And so, then we know that there's million pound players in that yeah. in that echelon now. What's the chance? I think we... I don't know about Ealing. So they, they'll they'll be above everybody else. So I... I don't know numbers exactly. So the profile's different for clubs like, say, Doncaster. So Donny is a cheaper place to live. Their profile of players will be up to 25. They're reduced because they've reduced their wage bill because they've had to. Right, so I need that guy that's been dropped out of a Prem club who's still hungry to play Premiership rugby. So their profile of player is that, and they'll be getting between 15 and 25 grand a year. 15 and 25? For a full time. And I think they'll probably have a couple that are in their 30s, but that's the sort of money you're talking. Pirates would be very similar because geographically, again, it's... What's this geographical stuff? Is that because it's cheaper to live there and they'll use that and leverage that and be like, right, okay, so it's not, no. it's not a London club, it's not a London Scottish. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. so your, your cost of living's cheaper. So you can offer... Yeah, a, but you're the same player, are you not? <laughs> I don't and, know. Yeah, that, but it's that's how they have to work because if I'm 29 and Doncaster offer me 25 grand, I'm going to say no. Bedford could offer me 25 grand and a, and a job, I'm going to say yes because I'm going to earn 45 grand. So, like, the, the Bedford model would be completely different to a Donny model because they can operate similar money to Donny. But Donny, oh, you can go and chase the dream at Donny because you're a full-time rugby player. There's that kudos attached to it, isn't it? And also that opportunity to go and potentially bounce into a premiership contract, which happens all the time. We are seeing that more and more. Who are the headline ones recently? I know Mark Atkinson got capped by England. Do you know Aki? I don't know Aki, but I, I feel like I should. Yeah. He seems like a legendary bro. Yeah, he was at Bedford, world's most sarcastic man. Love him. Really? He's a fucking good bloke. He'd, but, be, great. He'd be great on a podcast, wouldn't he? Yeah. I think yeah. he was doing a podcast for Gloucester. Yeah, he was doing the Gloucester one. Yeah, he came on ours, actually. He was good. Aki's a big one, just been captain Nick Dolly. Playing champ rugby eight months ago. He looks like a champ player, doesn't he? he like, does. as in, if you were to profile <laughs> a championship hooker, Nick Dolly, yeah, he's that's it. it. There's loads, mate. This is the thing about it. Like, we chat, like, we speak positively about it, and it's, it's no surprise when what happens to Aki or what happens to Nick Dolly happens. It's like, the, the thing is, it's like, who else would like, Tom Youngs did it years ago, didn't he? He was at Nottingham, he was centre. He was, yeah. Then moved to hooker. Yeah. So young, Ali Price. These, these Bedford. boys. Bedford. There's, there's loads. And it's, I know my champ. Tom, Thomas Francis. Who was he? Was he? Don Eadland London Scottish. 
Was he Donny? Yeah. Mate, bag of sick. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, sorry, Tom. But he was... He was uh, big, you, though. Big man. Oh, huge man. What a career. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. But I want to talk a little bit more about the champ. Yeah. in terms of the dark part of it. And if there is a dark part of I've it, been there. Yeah. player welfare, does it even exist or is it a kind of token we think that, or we know that we think it's the right thing to do? And my, and my, my, right. statement, my statement and my comment being, it takes money, it takes funding. Now we know the champ is grossly underfunded. Mm-hmm. I've heard you speak about it. You can see that. You can see... Not that there's a token gesture from headline sponsors, but there's a lack of investment and we don't know where the investment's coming from. Is it the RFU? Is it the owners? Yeah. Is it commercial sponsors? Is it the clubs? Is it the clubs that align with them? Yeah. You'll know more about it than me, but where I'm looking, it seems like it's underfunded. So therefore, the player welfare aspect, which is probably the most important aspect, gets yeah. thrown to the side of it. If you're running a championship club, your priority should be sustainability as a business so that's priority number one then it's your squad and then it's your match day match day isn't it to be honest when I was in it that was it that, that was that was the, all the priorities of the club you have that level within the, the local community and what you can give back to that but in terms of as a player it's on it's on you Jack do you know what I mean so like if you you know I talk about dark times and I look at my career and I joke earlier like I, had, I had 21 operations I had I had a lot of injury 21 Operations. operations yeah knees ankles neck shoulder all through my majority of it through not the majority say half and half my, my, my insurance and said club that i was at at the time and i look back and i, I if i got injured i remember doing my knee at plymouth and i paid for my scan because the scan wasn't coming quick enough so like, fuck this thing needs i need to scan on this it's so, so, so talk me through that process then so you wreck your knee play so, for, so for, play for plymouth against per temps bees right real thriller at Albion, jackal for the ball. I was 24 at the time. Oh, you were keen. Yeah. Nimble. <laughs> yeah. Last time I jackaled that was at 24. And after that, so I blew my MCL. And they don't operate on them now. But at the time, I was like, this is fucked. Wobbly. So I, that was awful. And the pain was horrendous. So 
I know I need a scan. So I, I argue, you don't need a scan, you don't need a scan, because they don't want to pay for it. <laughs> of course. And I used to say, what would they do at Man United? They'd scan it. Just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Similar. Yeah. But that's my, it's like, it needs a scan. Well, you're a person, you're a player, yeah. you're an athlete. Yeah, I need a scan on that. So I scanned it, fully gone, under the knife a couple of days later, fully prepared. The worst operation I think I've ever, it was a success, but after, mate, the bladder stopped working. What do you mean, the bladder? So I'm sat there going, I need a piss. And I'm like lying there. And my pain threshold for the... I was under for four and a half hours because you have to like sew it together. That's why they don't do the operation anymore. So I was in there for four and a half hours, came out, pain, what's your pain? Nine. And I was there for like eight hours overnight. Go through one saline drip for another. My stomach's going like, I can't piss. I can't piss. I was like, what, what do you need to do? Like, how, how do I stop this? Well, we need to put a catheter in you, Mr. Gulliver. What, while I'm awake? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I can't do that. And through what orifice? Through your japs. Through the old boy. <laughs> I sat there going, I can't do this. Like, genuinely, like, but my stomach's going, I'm just in all this, all pain in my knee, my stomach's fucked. Like, uh, okay, right, so I just ring the bell, four in the morning, you got to do it. So, pillow over my face. The old boy is like match day cock. It's the yeah, smallest. Got, yeah. yeah it's, you've never Dehydrated. seen it. Dehydrated. It's like acorn, you know, <laughs> flush everywhere. And it goes, mate, violated. And this is not me being like, to embellish the story, but it didn't work. So she had to pull it out and do put another one in. Sweet Mary. So, yeah, I'm glad I had that scan. <laughs> that was shit. But then I think, like, when I got injured, because I got injured a lot, and there's, there'll be people that think, oh, it's because I went on the piss a fair bit, but they were always, like, they were big ones. They weren't, how do you stop your knee going under yourself in a jackal? I know, I don't know, but strength-wise, it was whatever. So... I got unlucky with injuries. Yours were contact, contact injuries, yeah. like blown out, so stuff blew yeah. out. Stuff blew out, or repetitive injuries like a neck or a shoulder injury. I used to get a few hammers in pre-season, but I didn't want to do pre-season, so that's why I used to get there. Well, it's a great excuse, <laughs> isn't it? I'm going to get, yeah. If I do this pre-season, there's a, a chance I'm going to probably rupture my hamstring off the bone, so <laughs> yeah, the it's up to you, <laughs> especially if we're low-on players and I'm your best player. Yeah, and that's when you realise you're on your own, and there's just literally no support. And I don't even know if I wanted support, but it was just like, you're dark. And I remember I went on the piss really, really hard for like 14 days. That would have healed it. Yeah, I was, it was pretty much recovered. <laughs> but I'd lost it. I got a check through for insurance from an insurance company. And my headspace was just, I just didn't know where I was at. I was like, right, I'm going to go on a, a UK tour. I'm going to go on the piss for as long as I can. Now, if there's player welfare or a support network within said but in the championship or at Prem, you can see those signs. And it's like, well, oh, fuck, he's, he's had that injury, he's had this injury. That was my third operation that year. And like, oh, I was mentally shot. I just wanted to implode. And I did pretty successfully. But then sort of you come out the other end and he gets a bit better, move clubs, and I was all right. But you look at it and you go, fuck, what, why, didn't I, why didn't I look after myself a bit better? It's just, did I need someone? Could someone have reined me in? Well, that's the support, isn't it? That's yeah. having a coach like myself, it was a Richard Cockrell or a Dean yeah. Richards, having someone, so e- even if they ask you to rein you in, if they, if they ask you and you don't listen, then they tell you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think it's that level of respect, isn't it? And respect for, respect for the cause as well. So, so yeah. my point being, right, so if you're at Leicester Tigers yeah. and you injure your knee and I remember I nearly lost my eye in a game playing against Borgwan, went for a tackle, me and Castro Giovanni, his finger's gone knuckle deep in the back of my eye, tore my eyelid, 20 stitches to reconstruct the eyelid after I went out on the piss in Borgwan and got on a flight back. 
similar kind of thing because it's, it's it's in us, isn't it? Like mining your characters of where we come from and yeah. the kind of journey that we had. Yeah. What is that old school mentality? Is like when the shit hits the fan, go out and smash, go back to the mates and stuff like that. Yeah, just go and get pissed. It's weird, isn't it? But then I was at a club where at Leicester, where all right, they understood that there was a part of that. Yeah. But then you have that support network from a professional environment and an outfit that they've seen it all before. So they've seen it, they've been through it, and they also understand how to manage men. Yeah. And young lads, yeah. all different spectrums, and understand that you've got a Martin Johnson, one of the best yeah. captains in the world, and Never, you've got, yeah. you know, Stephen Booth, rest in peace, loose as a cannon. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you, you've got to be able to manage that. But in the champ, that's your story. Yeah. And there's going to be a load more others in terms of the pressures of these lads wanting to make it. I don't want to be horrible. 25 grand a year to play professionally yeah. is not a lot of money. Whether or not you live in Doncaster, you live in Coventry, or yeah. you live on a bloody farm in Cornwall. I'm not one for regrets. I, I don't look at it like that. But there's a time at, at Pirates where I was on, they fucking put a traffic light system on for drinking. What, green means go, red means stop? Yeah, amber means three or four. Oh, okay. So just loosen you up a bit. So yeah, I'm, yeah. On, I'm on an amber. Three or four hit the lips. <laughs> <laughs> All you're seeing is green. I'm going, oh, I'm green lights now. And then every, I think... That's like, their fault then. You yeah. can't put a traffic light system on no. a and, Ben Gulliver, can you, in his prime? <laughs> no. And then like the fine system at the time was like a, a tenner for everyone else, but not for you. Oh, that, that the old heartstrings oh, one. Man. The old SAS, yeah. who's dares wins thing. Yeah, yeah. You'll do the press-ups, I don't think not they me. paid, but then I, I had no thought process about other people's lives at that point. So people with kids, people with that. And I was just... You know, it's it's a it's a selfish act from the wrong, almost from the right place. But I don't know. It was weird, like why I did it. It was nothing to do. I wasn't thinking about anyone. You're else. building the culture. Yeah, that's what. It, and then I look back and go, fuck all those guys had to pay a tenner just because I went on a piss. And I think that's where the game's changed. It's like understanding if you understand people are different and they need a blowout or they need an arm round and when they're injured, those sorts of things. I think people are a lot more aware of that just in life. Yeah. Well, the big thing now is the support around concussion. You went to the doctors? Because I was worried. Okay. My first game in men's rugby, Coventry against Leicester at Leicester, second team game. I throw a shit punch left. Garf, Darren Garfield knocks me clean out, wake up on the sideline. So that's my only knockout, really, I remember. Then I, I was one of those guys that had lots of c- concussions. We'd fake the tests so we could play. What was that test called that we used to do? It's, it's the cards one, wasn't it? Yeah. Cog, cog test. Cog, yeah, the cognitive test. We flip the cards if you've got to press. Yeah, yeah. And, left, and then the right. red and black. And yeah. When the, you see a red card, hit Y, and Y, have, yeah. X for black. You'd have a baseline, wouldn't you? Well, it's meant to be a baseline, but we'd always do it slowly. In the baseline, yeah. in pre-season, knowing yeah. that there was going to come a time in the season where you were going to get concussed or have symptoms. And if you went slow in the test, if you were slower when you were yeah. concussed, you're right. There you go. We all did it. Mm, we did. Yeah, all of us did it. And the motivations were that for wanting to play and wanting to earn 200 quid a game. I'd One of those people that would have their brain shake and like, I'd get like the head. I'd never go out. It stings. And I'd feel like this pain and, you know, like, it, which is concussion, isn't it? I now know it's concussion. I just always fucking bang on the head. So the stories have started coming out lately of no dementia and the CTE stuff. And I was like, fuck. So I sent an, an e-consult to the doctor, just say, oh, this is my situation. I feel like I've had lots of concussions over period of 15 years and you come see me so yeah I had, some, I had my blood test taken and I went back and saw him last week and I was all clear everything's fine and I was like fuck for that but it was a genuine worry and I don't know if I mean how accurate can those things be it was a weight off my shoulders I was, I was thinking quite a bit about it I think 
just for, for peace of mind. Because there's, there's certain things and like behaviours that you do when you retire and you think, fuck, is this because I've had bangs on the head? Or, is or this... because I've retired and I'm struggling with transition. Yeah. When you have time on your hands to think by yourself, I start thinking, oh, I feel a bit off today. Oh, I've got a bit of a headache. I probably <laughs> had a headache. Or I probably felt a bit off or I felt yeah. a bit demotivated or my serotonin levels were lower than they might have been the day before. Yeah, yeah. All this stuff comes out and I start second-guessing myself. Like I've Because you don't it's things you don't think about when you're in in that group. You don't really have time either, no. do you? It's just like you're in yeah. it, you you've got a game of rugby, you know, you wreck your knee, you're rehabbing. Yeah, you just crack on, don't you? Yeah, you just carry on. But then I think with everything that comes out and then you're no longer a rugby player and you start seeing the worst in the sport, I think there's an element that we all go through that of resentment. I went oh, through that when I finished. Yeah. yeah. And then you come back to and be like, actually, yeah. it's a fantastic sport, everything that it's given you. But I think we all go through that in yeah. terms of everyone thinks that they're underpaid. I think unless yeah. you're a million pound player, yeah. when you look at what other players are getting, you look at what you do. Yeah. And this comes back to the championship. I think the players are grossly, grossly underpaid. Yeah. I don't know how you can play a game every week, a contact sport, in the shadows, and get paid twenty five grand a year. I, I, I just it, professionally, yeah. it's it's less in some places as well. I think it's negligent. I'll be honest. In terms of whoever is making them, and I know. Sorry, I know it's not the clubs. Even though I know they're making the decisions, mm. they don't have any money because no. it's not funded. Is there are a few not funding it or not? There are a few where they do fund it. So it was around six fifty per club per year, six hundred fifty grand. And is that just for the players, or is that that's for the it's to be used as as you want. So for players, support staff, etc. And then, then the clubs will do what they want with that. Now that got stripped just before COVID uh, from 650 to no, 80 grand per club per year based on five key areas that the club should have hit. So sort of player pathway, referee pathway, community engagement. And there's, there's two others. I always forget the other two. Anyway, these five standards were dropped onto the championship club's table two days before the funding was cut by Bill Sweeney. And then it, I think the problem was that they didn't know it was coming and they just stripped all the funding out of it for these reasons. No, no England, there's no pathway for players. There's no value to the English national team. And that's that was the view of the RFU. There was an option a couple of years before for the clubs that could have taken with Edvin between 600 and 1 million per year. Forgive me if I'm wrong on that, but there was a, there was a good contract where the relegation would be closed for a little while and then they could go and apply the clubs that was on the table and they said no to that and then as a result through COVID and everything now it's all gone tits up and they're getting nothing per year so it's so loaded what to do with the championship and how it how it comes out of it what is good the products the product's pretty good it was very good you know it's I think I think if it's shot in the right way if it's filmed in the right way and the stories are told then I think there's an opportunity there commercially what do you think needs to happen what would you do so if you're calling out to the millions of listeners and someone's listening that's high up in the tree of decision makers. It's like politics. I don't think they can do anything. They'll just talk a good game and wait for a four-year cycle or a 12-year cycle, which we've heard before some of the discussions with World Rugby who don't make decisions. They're just a governing body. Yeah, We don't know who makes decisions. I'm hearing EPCR are are big decision makers when it comes to rugby in the UK. What does it need? It needs money, right? It needs funding. The clubs within the league need to be have a business plan which is profitable or at least sustainable. You could argue that in the Premiership as well because that's that's not, is it? That's massively upside down. If the champ could have that and then you have investment similar to what they had from the RFU, that would be amazing because I think now they've had it taken away, I think the clubs would be smarter with that. 
And then I think if it went on a paid platform, I don't think people would watch it. But I think if it was on a, on a free-to-air channel, then I think that would generate interest and that generates a commercial opportunity. And the actual championship needs to have control of its commercial entity, which it doesn't. So the Green King sponsorship was very much a Twickenham deal and put the naming rights to the championship. So it just filters down. So it's almost like a bo- not, not a box-ticking exercise, yeah. but commercially it's like, right, okay, you give us a million pound well, and we will allocate X amount to the to that, but we want those pouring rights. And what a deal for Green King. Of course. You get the pouring uh, rights at the stadium. Yeah, exactly. And then the championship is, there's no, there's no thought process of, we could go Green King there. and Well, I think I've met someone at Green King at the Oval watching the cricket, didn't see any of the cricket. And I think one of the statements that I heard made that day was they're not interested in the championship. Yeah, they're not. It's about pouring beer. Which it's, is fine for them. Of course. But, but if you're Green King and there's no visibility, yeah. well, what's the point? So unless you're going to a game, and my point being what you've just made there, the fact that it's not on TV, is it on YouTube? Like, how would I watch a game? How would I watch Cov Amptel? Couldn't. Mental. Yeah. You could last year through COVID. There was a, there was a streaming platform. It was a tenner ago, I think. I think the numbers are okay, but then it's it was COVID, so people were helping support the club by paying their, of paying their fee. Because it's... I don't know. I, 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 COVID, I've sort of looked at numbers of how many people watch sort of championship rugby over a weekend live. And you're probably between 15,000 well, 15, people live. So the audience is small, right? If you look in the premiership, it's probably 100,000 per weekend. That's small if you look at a football. So it's course. fucking tiny. We, we think we're in this different world where mm. rugby is everything and everything. That's so true. And it's not, it doesn't really, in the big grand scheme of things, I'm a big social entity, company, whatever. Looking at those figures, going fuck, you know, why do I want to put money in that? Why would you invest? Yeah, you know, if you look at the women's game and how that's marketing themselves now, you're thinking, fuck, there's definitely opportunity in there because they're they're showing a different side to rugby and their audience is different. And I think there was an opportunity within the championship where the audience is different, it's more raw, uh, it's less polished. If you go to, say, Jim Hamilton goes to to Bedford and you meet Mike Gray, who's been there for 15 years, you do a pre-match interview with him, you hear his story, his day, his week. That's told in the build-up to a game. Oh, fucking hell, that's, that's amazing. Uh, you mentioned the women's game. Mm-hmm. Let's. No, I, I feel like it's a token gesture. It's not a token gesture, but you're well across that yeah. in terms of in your house, yes. your well, girlfriend. She, you're not even married yet, are you? Yes, it's 10 years. Next 10 year. years married, of course you are. Just missed the <laughs> wedding. Just wasn't invited hey. to the wedding. So, hey. Georgie, 10 Georgie. years Married, congratulations. I've never even said congratulations. Oh, thank you, Jim. Is well embedded <laughs> in yes. the women's game. So she was scrum half for Saracens? Saracens. For yeah. how many years? Five years at Saris. She's got 37 caps. And she played at Litchfield and Bristol. There you go. So well embedded in yeah. women's rugby. Where is this space? Uh, I'm trying to work it out. And I don't talk about it that much. And some people come at me and say silence is complicit and all yeah. this stuff around other things. I've got three girls in my house. I've got my wife, I've got my daughter, Phoebe, and I've got a, another daughter called Freya. You remembered them? I slowly <laughs> paused, yeah. The boys I can speed through. I'm all for empowering women. Yeah. All for it. You know, there's not any part of me that is old school and being like, actually, women shouldn't be doing this. You know, it's a man's game. But I think maybe deep down, there could be something inside myself, but also a lot of the listeners would be like, why should the women's game get the amount of funding or the amount of profile that you've just mentioned there? Yeah. Because it really is now. Yeah. And I think there's a big play, not just in rugby, globally for empowering women in business, 
Yeah. We've seen football, how, I mean, naturally, of course, but how quickly that's accelerated. John Beattie, one of my friends, his sister, Jen, I think she's at Man City or Arsenal, oh, right. or she's been at both. And I've seen the acceleration in football. Mm-hmm. Rugby, there seems to be an acceleration. Yeah. What's it like living in a, a house with a fellow rugby player? And does she feel like she's battling or they're pushing uphill to try and get people to take notice. Is there a viable commercial opportunity in, in women's rugby, how it looks in 15s? When I first, so me and George first met, I'd always had an interest in women's rugby, but didn't understand it. And then found myself sort of going to a lot of games, watching a lot of games. When, when Maggie was sort of in a pump and I'd be watching Georgie, I was like, fuck it, this is outstanding. And the way I used to describe it, because the first question you get asked is about, like, what's women's rugby? How many lesbians are there? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's just fucking rude to start with. And that's that's very much, this is going back a little bit, the opinion of a lot of males around women's rugby, let's be honest. And then I find myself going, hold on a minute. It's the same game, but different. All right? So that's the way I used to describe it. And it is, it's the same game, but it's, it's slightly different just because of the athleticism within the game. So in terms of kicking, there's not as much kicking because there's kicking ability throughout a whole squad is not always... Where well, they can't pump a ball 40, 50 metres, just genetically. Unless you're Emily Scarrett. Unless you're Scars or unless you're Zoe Harrison. But that I think that's through them I've been seeing the likes of Maggie and those growing up and being having an interest in it and, and playing it longer. So what happens or happened a lot is a lot of women and girls would come to it quite late. So that development period, a bit like Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never kicked the ball. Yeah. Well, once it actually but, for the barbarians, it went straight off my heel into into touch, but it got you. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's it's difficult. I don't want to sound derogatory to it at all, but that is a fair comment around the kicking side of it. That's fair. I think Flats said it about Skaz in the World Cup one year. But it? I think being fair and being balanced, you're in a perfect position. If yeah. I start saying that, they'd be like, yeah. "Oh, you know what's you know what the, yeah. what does Jim know?" But you do know. Yeah, and that side of the game. Is, is a big area of growth. In terms of handling and physicality, it's fucking been there for years. It's amazing. It's great. And it's there is a pre-bias in society and there's a pre-bias in, in, in rugby towards women. I champion women. I always have. Like my, the, the most important people in my life and role models have all been women. So Georgie being one of those. Georgie hadn't come into my life. Fuck knows where my rugby career would have gone because I was a loose cannon and had no control. And like she'd come in and she just properly reined in. And I... I got respect for her from what she was doing playing for England. So she'd do a 5am gym session. She'd go to work. She'd drive up to Bristol, come back, then go to England training and do all this shit around her own life. I'm getting paid, albeit, what, 30 grand at Pirates, moaning about fucking going to a a running session. Mm. It's like, actually, Gully, wind your neck in and work a bit harder. And, and, And she had that impact on me. So watching her growth within the game and then watching her still when she was playing for England it's it was still an afterthought so it was great to play at Twickenham but who wants to watch two games of rugby at Twickenham on a Saturday in the freezing cold in November England beat New Zealand recently England beat New Zealand at Isha years ago when Georgie was playing or at Twickenham and the story just wasn't told it was just a bit of an afterthought oh yeah we better put this on because uh, it's the right thing to do which is bullshit that's just blokes being fucking prejudiced and sexist and all that shit that goes on within within the RFU or wherever it is. It might be the RFU, might, those decision makers. I just get so frustrated with it. But it's, it's, it's like great seeing it now and it's just sort of championing those stories. And I think they see an opportunity of growth and the, the growth is new supporters. You go to Twickenham, it's the same people every year. It's that demographic of white middle class majority that are there. 
watching rugby, watched it their whole lives, whatever. The opportunity in women's rugby is a new audience. The rugby hasn't had this opportunity for, well, since it, since its inception, I don't think. So, you know, there's an opportunity. I watch, you look at the Chiefs, down at Chiefs when England played there, or you go to Donny, whatever. You look at the people watching that game of rugby. It's families, it's kids, it's girls, and they're having a great day. And they're going to go to their local rugby club and they're going to take their family with them and their family are going to come into the rugby club. They're going to buy a beer. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. It's just a massive opportunity for for growth for the game. And I think it the women's game will benefit the men's game rather than the men's game benefiting the women's game. And I think that, that's the opportunity. And that's the way I'd like to see it go. And I think you can kind of see it. I don't think it should follow the men's model at all at, at Prem level. I don't think they should be playing through the winter. I think it should move to the summer and become its own family day out. And then it becomes a, a viable, sustainable revenue stream for a, a club as well. So break the mould a bit on it. It's an opportunity. There's, there's great role models within the game, isn't there, in the women's side that are getting bigger and bigger. But then for it to become a really commercially successful competition, it needs fans and it needs supporters watching it week in, week out. And they're hopefully the people that are watching England now on the roadshows that will go and support their clubs locally. Yeah, I think what we come to think of in rugby and it all started from Jonah Lomu is athletes right yeah people you say it a bit on the other one don't you it's like the transcend the game yeah players that transcend the game but also and again this is there's an element of us going away from big hits and big carries the excitement where NFL where you'd watch NFL highlights for example and it'd be people getting absolutely fucking minced in the tackle yeah. and that's what you want to see rugby's slightly moving away from that yeah. offloads you know, big tries, celebrations, fan experience. And I think from my point of view and seeing some of the women come through now is the way that they'll take the leap is by the athletes coming through. Rugby is the ultimate team sport. Yeah. But I think in order to grow the game from a men and female perspective is... You need that. Yeah. You, you need your Mara Tojis, your Emily Scarrett, your Sonny Bill Williams, yeah. your Jim... You gullet, yeah. yeah, you don't need the good lads. They've all got good lads. <laughs> but I think that that's what it needs. And Poppy Cleals. Yeah, yeah. of yeah. course. So the money in the women's game, you you know, again, how, how it looks. How much are the women getting paid? So in terms of the funding, that, again, seems to be a bit of a token gesture, similar to the championship. It almost not, not doesn't seem to be an afterthought. Clubs think and know they have to do something in the women's space. So it's almost like, right, well, what are we going to do here? Because we can't not have a women's team because... Because everyone else is doing it. Yeah, it's and also... For fucking reason. Uh, exactly, but that's, that, that is probably why they are doing it. But also yeah. commercially, like you yeah. think an Allianz or a Nike or an Adidas, yeah. these are big, just to name three, are companies that are like, right, okay, well, what are you doing in women's sport? How are you empowering women? Oh, damn, shit. We're not. We, need to put, we need to put something together. Yeah. Are the women being paid well enough to be professional? Uh, the England contracts, yes. But again, I don't know exact figures but I know they're tiered so very much like the UK Athletics used to be but it's through England rugby and I think again it's similar to what the champ between 25 and 35 depending what level of rugby player you are uh, and that's the EPS so your elite player squad they'll all be contracted between those figures I believe and that's probably been that way for three years I think club level there's a bit of money that knocks around now which is new for the girls and like I had chats with quite a few of them and how they pitch themselves and in a new contract and what their worth is, et cetera. So, but again, that's that's a, that's sort of a match fee or a retainer, but you're not going to be earning over 12 grand through a club club contract anywhere. You might get accommodation, but they have to stay within their salary cap of 
I think it was 80 grand for the year, and I think it's up to 120 now. I think that might be wrong, but it's not a lot of money to fund 30, 30 players. Where's the beacon? Where's the one that they look up to and be like, is it an Emily Scarrett? And be Scarrett's like, by, yeah. Is that because commercially she's got stuff with Adidas and involved in a podcast and does sponsorship deals? I coached Scars at Litchfield when Georgie was playing there. So we had Scars, Mo, Georgie, Justo. There was loads of England girls there. It was, it was awesome, great coaching experience. She is by far and away the best person I've coached or been involved with in rugby. And that athletic ability and skill level. And talk about humble, she is. She's just a lovely person. And like she is a great rugby player first, great person. She's the, she's the beacon, yeah. Of, of the women's game for me. And that's the one I think. And she knows she's got her own podcast, hasn't she? And she's, and I don't know how comfortable she is. She's a farmer, and, but she sees an opportunity. And this is how self-aware Skaz is. She she knows she's in the public eye. And she knows an opportunity then to help grow the game through speaking and talking about it positively. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's she's bloody good egg, that one. Yeah. I mean, when I look at her, that's what I think. It's almost, it's rests on her shoulders right now. <laughs> no pressure, Skaz. Like, yeah, like yeah. no pressure at all. But she seems to be the right person to do oh, it. She, yeah. Because of the reasons that I've said, I, in order for the women's game to grow, there needs to be an athleticism yeah. element to it. And she looks like an athlete. Yeah. She plays like an athlete. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But the way that she speaks and the fact that she's got appetite to put herself out there, yeah. it's not easy, is it? Like right. we're sat, we were talking about it before. Like it's not easy no. when the cameras are on. No. And doing a podcast and trying to contextualize yeah, not try, yeah. everything, not just making a tackle or playing rugby, just <laughs> yeah. trying to contextualize life, like, anything. But they're quite they're quite deep subjects as well, aren't they? Like this is like a society level as well, isn't it? And it's yeah, I have experience. I'm not a woman, so I can't. So you find yourself second guessing, pausing, pausing, umming, yeah, ring, yeah. you knowing, you knowing, yeah. Um, uh, but at the same time, I've experienced it from. I think so. I get very protective. I coach a, a women's team at the moment. Georgie's my head coach, which is which is a different dynamic, which is good fun. But I, I, I go into protection mode, and I hate the fact that I have to go into protection mode because someone might say something. A bloke in the clubhouse might say, "Oh, ooh, she's all right," or "Oh, look, they can play rugby. Oh, they can kick a rugby ball." It's like, come on, guys, we, you know, we're we're in a different world now. Let's let's embrace it. Let's just see it for what it is. And but that's why it's right that me and you sit chatting about it because yeah. I'm not overly comfortable talking about it. No. I don't 100% know how I feel about it. I don't think much of it. Yeah. But I think the fact that me and you, I'm going to put us in the mould of alpha male. Bloody love it. Because <laughs> basically we've got a beard. We've got a beard. So I think we are. It probably yeah. better to migrate through it. Um and ah, you knows, who knows, mm, mm, pause. And what I said to you before, the podcast... I'm quite happy to make mistakes, right? Yeah. I, there's no point me pussyfooting through life with four kids, trying to be PC yeah. and trying to say what I think other people want me to say. I'd yeah. rather be corrected and be like, well, actually, you said this. You said this on the rugby pod. You said this. You and Gully were chatting about this. You didn't seem overly comfortable about talking about it. Yeah. Or you're wrong. I'll be like, yeah, great. Thank you. Mm. Enlighten me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's part of the journey of doing think, this podcast. Yeah, I know I've spoke to you about it before when you've come to watch it and you did the piece on Saris, didn't you? I did. Well, one thing that, again, without cutting you off, obviously we've known each other, mentioned it for 20-odd yeah. years, not just your career, yeah. but every time I see you misses play or involved in rugby, you're there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Six yeah. foot six, yeah. beard, not embarrassed at all. No, proud. Proud yeah. to be stood there 
and enjoying it and loving it. Yeah. And I and that's what that's what yeah. I want to talk about because I love it. I, lo- I think it's great. I, yeah. I I think it's awesome to see. Yeah. No, it's me and George. I think we're quite unique in that. But we supported each other through through our rugby careers, and it was it was never it was never chore for us. So George, you come watch me on a Saturday. I'll go watch her on a Sunday, or vice versa. And I, I don't want to sound cool. No, I don't mind saying it. I'm, I'm proud to say that some of my best days in rugby were watching Georgie play for England, traveling up on a train, having a couple of beers, going to watch her play against New Zealand. And then at the end of a career, like her running off the field, winning against Quinns, crying. And I've never seen her cry. You know, they still, but like going there, just proud as punch on the side. That's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> raw. Like, raw. Just, and that's how I felt. I love, I love you. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> and then the year before when she was thinking about retiring and she was, we were at Ealing in the Prem final and, and they shouldn't have won that game. It was a great game of rugby. And I've never, all my playing, all my coaching, Watching that game, fuck me, I was a bag of wrecks, a bag of nerves, mate. I was, I was, didn't know how to feel. And after the emotion I felt was just nothing I'd ever felt before because I thought that was it for her, and they shouldn't have won the game, and they did. And I stood behind the cameraman trying to look at the time on the sky camera because there's no bloody clock at Ealing, and I'm peppering. And he just said, "You fuck off!" I'm like, "That's my wife on the bench. I want <laughs> She's to know, my wife. I want to know the score or how long's left." Those days, like watching a watching George play, were great, but also. Watching the growth of the game through it as well, it's it's been quite nice to be on that. I've not part of the journey. Just watch watch it. You've definitely been part of the journey from yeah. from where I've viewed the women's game, and maybe that's just through Do my you know lenses. Turned me from my probably where where you were at at some point, maybe the last few years was England were playing Italy or someone at London Welsh in the end of the Six Nations, uh, and they Georgie was playing, and they they won the Six Nations. I think they won like four on a spin Grand Slams. At London Welsh, old dear part. So, oh, what do I do here? Everyone's getting on the beers. Oh, fancy staying up. And I used to stay at the Shepparton. So I snuck on their bus. Right. So I'm sat. Don't tell me they're chopping piss on the bus. <laughs> it's mental. I was fear. I was scared. So I sat on the back of the bus. I don't even know if the coaches knew I was on it. Fuck those out. But I was at the back just like that. And then, oh my god, mate! This trip was only like half an hour. It was kicking off on there. You and felt part of them. I felt part of the team. <laughs> felt like I was an England player. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, this is brilliant, amazing. And like, and it, I don't know. I just, I just got a love for it, and, I, and I've also got a real care, care for the the girls that are in it. And I, you know, I speak to a lot of them still now. And they, they, they message me. I have a good friendship with with Poppy and, and Rocky as well. And it's, I've got my own relationships and friendships with them. And just, I don't guide them, but it's just nice to if they've got a question around contracts or money or, you know, they can, they can fire away. I, I might not know the answer, but they know that they can they can, they can can reach out if needed. But it's um, it's definitely going in the right way. I think if you don't know about it, it's difficult. But it's like anything. If you don't know, you're going to feel uncomfortable about it, aren't you? I don't know anything about squash. You know, talk about squash, I don't know about it. <laughs> I don't know. It's unbelievably fast and you've got to be nimble and agile, which we're not. Gully, absolutely love that, mate. Yeah. If you want to... Give a shout out to your podcast. What's it called? I don't know whether you want to put your social media out there. You're not. You're old school. You're not that much on social media, are you? Oh, I love it. Do you? Yeah. All right. Well, what's your social media handle and how do listeners get hold of your so podcast? Go, the podcast is Championship Clubs Podcast. So it just rolls off the tongue, that one. Championship Clubs Podcast. CCP. That's it, yeah. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram. Oh, mate. As if I'm, as I love if, it. Come on. As if Come we're on. doing this. Right, me. What am I on there? Uh, on Instagram, I am at Ben Gully thirteen. Twitter at Ben Gully. I know he does Facebook anymore. I don't. Do nah, they don't no, do no. Facebook. No, they're, no. they're the two main ones. Uh, and if you want to buy a uh, 
a Land Rover or Range Rover, come and find me at Roger Young Land Rover in Saltash in the southwest. So those guys down there are great. But yeah, if you're looking for a new car, I'm your man. I'll be there. <laughs> Cheers for listening, guys. <laughs>